Welcome to episode 343 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I just crossed seven years, my seventh anniversary of hosting this podcast. And it's been an incredible pleasure. And one of the side benefits of hosting a show for this long is that I have been invited to be guests on other people's shows, which is such a gift. And I have had the opportunity to speak about my latest book, which is all about how to use low-tech solutions to create these highly engaging Zoom events with an eye towards transformational, inclusive, and engaging online experiences. I initially was talking way back when about my first book, which is all about networking. If you've heard me talk about bagels and croissants, you'll find out more about that on any of those shows. And my second book is all about how do you build an audience before you try to sell anything. And there was a period of time where I was invited to speak in lots of shows just because I had this incredible story of going from zero to six figures in eight months. If you're looking for a guest to share with your audience on any number of topics that I could support you in, please reach out. If you want to see what I'm like as a guest, you can check out the dozens of shows that I've been on, maybe even hundreds at this point, at RobbieSamuels.com forward slash guest expert. That's RobbieSamuels.com forward slash guest expert. It would be my pleasure to support you and your show. And now, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dig into this week's interview. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest has been there and done that. She's a seasoned stand-up comic and speaker, wife, stay-at-home mom, reluctant runner, and cancer survivor. She knows how it feels to be stressed out where finding the time to recharge seems as impossible as figuring out Common Core math. Now companies and organizations hire her to customize an on-message comedy experience centered around their values to tackle stress and burnout. Her talks are part keynote and part comedy show that makes audiences feel seen, heard, and appreciated one laugh at a time. Please join me in welcoming Heather Tolly Bauer. Yay! I'm so happy to be here. And you nailed that. You nailed that intro. You know how hard I've worked on that intro. So I know. I know. Not, not a single word was amiss. Holly. Uh, Holly. <laughs> no, everybody does that. Oh, my gosh. Robbie, it is so common. Does that. I never done that before because I always see your name printed in front of me. I know. Heather. And then you have to say it. And then it's like it's a little brain teaser. Heather Tolly Bauer becomes Holly. And honestly, if I would have known I was going to stay in comedy, I would have just changed my name to Holly. But I did not. You could have scrunched it. 
I would, yeah, I would have just created my own name. I would have had a stage name, but no, I didn't think I was going to last. <laughs> yeah, and you're still doing your thing. Well, welcome from your place in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you. As you know, this show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So how do I define leadership? Um, I think that leadership is when you can bring people along with you. So I think about it in terms, I think about it in, in these terms. Um, so I might answer your question in reverse. I've always known I was a leader and I was thinking about this and I don't ever remember being called bossy. And I think that like, that's the key, right? Like when you can get people on the same page and make them feel like they are a part of it and that they um, had a say in it and then and still get them to do what, um, what you see needs to be done. I, to me, that's leadership. That's what it means to me is not, not, you know, forcing myself on people, but bringing people along. Bring people along. Yeah. yeah. And you somehow avoided getting labeled the word bossy growing up. Can you imagine? I mean, you know, I was, listen, I'm 53 years old. I was born and raised in a time when, you know, uh, not only were kids supposed to be, um, you know, seen and not heard, but women, you know, women as well. And um, yeah, but I've always been, um, I've always been a leader. And I was thinking, I was thinking about uh, I was thinking about this. I was listening to one of your episodes. So I knew you were going to ask me this question. And I was like, when did I know I was a leader? And here's what I came up with. When I was in the fifth grade, okay, 1980, I was in the Girl Scouts. And the Girl Scouts, where I grew up in Centralia, Illinois, had a father-daughter banquet. And all the Girl Scout troops in my town did a, like a skit. And that was the, that was the entertainment. And so I like wrote and produced the skit for our, my troops, you know, father, daughter banquet. And, um, it was a little riff on Queens, another one bites the dust. Um, and, but it was in the confines, it was in the construct of the gong show. Okay. Now I don't know if y'all, if the listeners, you know, know about the gong show, but the gong show was, you know, one of those like cheesy, um, do you know about the gong show? You're young. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm turning yeah. 49 this year. Yeah, okay, okay. So you I get the gong generation. show. Yeah, so, and then I got to be Chuck Bears. But it wasn't that I took that on and produced that and made that happen. I realized that what made me a leader was that my troop nominated me to do that. And yeah. that's when I was like, oh... I'm somebody who people trust to get things done yeah. and to do it. So like, you know, 10 years old, I'm, you know, I, I produced my first off, off, off Broadway. <laughs> Many offs, but still, Many I mean, offs. as you said, Heather, people saw that you had the capability to pull this off and they wanted you to take the lead and tell them what to do to make it all happen. And that that's different than you self-nominating and then demanding everyone pay attention to you. Or if you had a parent who was like underwriting the cost of something and therefore <laughs> you were put in charge because of that you know, association, like the fact that your peers were like, oh my gosh, Heather, please help us do this. 
Um, yeah. That's a good sign that you're you're leading people. And yeah. I also love that you went back far enough to like the playground. I always wonder what kids were like when what my guests were like as kids, like um, not just fifth grade, but I'm even thinking like on the playground and like, or are you, were you the kid organizing kids to get together? Uh, did teachers sort of hand you? Yeah, yeah. I always got the papers. Like I always got like, Heather, hand out the papers. Yeah. <laughs> Heather, help me grade the papers. Yes, I was very much that that kid that just sort of took took charge. I think it was because I'm a middle child. Um, and I'm three of four in um in my household, and stuff just needed to get done. And so um and and um chaos and uncertainty sort of is like caused me a lot of anxiety. And so I was like, listen, if nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. Um, so I did, you know, I was the one who was organizing the, um, the, the, how we got together as kids and what we, you know, what we did or whatever, making the suggestions, making the plan or whatever. And, um, yeah, I was just, uh, I think it was because I have a low tolerance for chaos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's where that comes from. Did you end up running for any formal office, like school president, something or other type thing? I did. So um, the other thing was, um, so when I was in the eighth grade, I did not run for high school student council. Um, I ran the campaign for my friend who was running. And um, that was the other thing that happened when I realized that um, I, I'm, I'm just an organized thinker. I just like to organize things, which I think I think the two things go hand in hand. I think you, if you are a leader, you're somebody who organizes stuff. And if you are somebody who organizes stuff, then you are a leader. I think the two things come, come together. So it wasn't until my freshman year when I was running that I ran for um, uh, student council office. And so then I was on student council um, my whole, um, the rest of my high school um, experience. And that really informed my leadership and it it shaped my leadership and it led to it actually led to me pursuing a career in public relations oh interesting isn't that crazy Getting a little taste of that yeah yeah you know i ran for some office one of those early years of high school and didn't win um but like a year or so later i like my school talked about maybe doing recycling this is like again early 90s so talking about maybe doing some recycling and so I stepped forward and I got all these people and players together to like get that to actually happen. And I ended up having the student government making signs for my project using their funds. Yeah, see? <laughs> like I wasn't actually on the student whatever council body thing, but like when I had, I created a, a school-wide, it actually became a district-wide program. Um, oh my gosh, see? I mean that's the kind of stuff. Like you don't need to have the formal title all the time. No, and when you are a connector or a weaver of people and resources and, and energy and and um and opportunity, you know, then then there you have it. You know, one of the most important things I did when I was on student council is I co-chaired the um our blood drive. We did um our student council did um a spring blood drive every year. And um, we broke the record for the most blood collected in a one-day high school blood drive across the country. 
we broke the record. And um, that really was that moment of, I was probably like a junior or senior in high school, but that was that moment of, yeah. of um, you know, using the, um, the, my love for communications, because I really geek out on communications. I'm just such a communications geek. But my love of communications and purpose and messaging and cause-related right. marketing. And, and it really like launched me into my, uh, my pursuit of, of, of a public relations career, which I did for a long time. So did you head off then into college with the PR as sort of the, the plan that you were going to get into public relations? So no. I did not. I went off to college with the plan. So, okay, when I was going off to college, I graduated high school in 1988. So when I was going off to college, there in my area, there were no public relations degrees. So I went into uh, radio and television broadcasting mm -hmm. and um, got, so I went to a community college first. Then when I got to uh, the, my four-year school, I went to SAU Edwardsville, Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville. Go Cougars! I um, I I had to petition the business school to allow me to take marketing classes because I was a non-business major. Because I knew I wanted to go into public relations, but that didn't exist. So I had to sort of cold together my mm -hmm. own degree in public relations before the school even offered public relations. That's a skill set. <laughs> on its own, like knowing you something and then figuring out how to take disparate pieces of information and making it something new. Um, and, and also self-advocacy at that age, like determining this is what you wanted and you're willing to stick your neck out to do it and get your way. And then of course, make people realize they should have had this degree available. Well, you know, a lot of people went into public relations. They did um, broadcasting, and then they went into public relations because they understood the news cycle. They understood how how right. the you know how the how the business worked, and that's how people flowed into public relations. They were journalism majors. So I had a a, a major in my I majored in radio and television broadcasting. Got my BS degree, which cracks me up. BS and broadcasting just fits. It just sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, um, and then I minored in journalism, and then minored in uh, marketing. And not only did I get them to like believe in like in in me, like they I, they they were like, okay, yeah, we we will let you do this, but don't make us look like an idiot. You know what I mean? Like there was <laughs> there was some pressure on me to um, like make it worth their while. And um, so it all worked out. It was good. By the time you finished college, was the career path pretty much laid out in front of you? Did you know where you were going to go the first few years out of school? No, because I was still living in the area um, of, you know, Southern Illinois, and there weren't a lot of public relations jobs there, nor were there like a lot of broadcasting jobs there. So I sort of, again, created my own path. I became um, a, uh, now back in the late, I mean, late eighties, early nineties at this point, drug and alcohol prevention was really, was like a, really being funded um, at the state level. So I became a drug and alcohol prevention coordinator, which let me put my, um, my communication skills because to, to use because I was creating public service announcements and campaigns and speaking to kids about, you know, don't do drugs and, yeah, all of that. All Sorry, of that I'm stuff. having such a flashback. This is your brain. 
This is your brain <laughs> on brain drugs. drugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> Good, for, yeah. strong message that I'm I still hearing in my take- head. I couldn't take credit for that public service announcement. Yeah, that would be a good one. <laughs> that would have been a good one. That would have been a good one. So um, again, I sort of like took the opportunity, the the job that was available to me, and I sort of just crafted it into um, really taking on a a public relations role, and um, that's what I did for a while. What led you to change that path? I mean, that's that's a worthwhile endeavor. Like you're putting energy into something. It's needed. Why? Why was there a shift? Um, I was well. You know those those jobs um, are really grant funded and dependent on you know grant funding and things like that. And as that shifted and changed, and then also I was driving. Oh my gosh, this is what we do in the Midwest. Sometimes I was driving an hour one way to get to that job, and which was in a, a community health center. And so there were some other parts of the job that sort of came with it to keep you know to get the funding. I was being funded by like three different areas and which also meant I had to do like crisis communications which meant I'd have to like answer the crisis hotline and I was not equipped for that at all so I had the opportunity to um, take a job um, that was closer to, closer to my home um, so then I went to go work for the community college where I um, uh, th- that I had attended in my community um, was there um, uh, non-credit. It was called community education. So that was the, all the classes that we were offering that um, weren't for college credit. Um, so it was kind of like um, uh, like a ballroom dance. and yeah, like any kind of adult ed. like Adult ed stuff. Adult yeah. ed. Recreational. Recreational fun things to learn. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that people had an experience with their um, with their community college, and that was a ton of fun. I did that for a few years, and I didn't really work in um, in corporate public relations until um, a couple of years a uh, couple of years later when um, my husband now and I moved to Connecticut. Um, but I had a pit stop with the American Red Cross and then I, and then I came and then I, I'm old, Robbie, I've had a lot of chapters. Well, I was just thinking like you were almost a decade out of undergrad, the time you had an opportunity to actually use your degree in a formal way. Mm, I was, um, probably not quite a decade, but, um, let's see, 23, yeah, I mean, I was, in my tw- late twenties. Yeah. 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 I didn't think about it that way. Thanks. <laughs> but you were using it all the whole time. It sounds yeah. like you found, I mean, the, the kind of skills you learned were applicable in lots of situations. And well, that's, that's the thing about communications Yeah, is you're, it, it's, it's like, it's a lot like sales, right? Like you're selling all the time, whether you mm. are a salesperson or not, um, you are communicating all the time. All right. the time. So that um, skill set and that love of it has has served me well because um, you have to be able to persuade people, um, inform and persuade people um, to do a lot of different things. Was PR everything you thought it would be once you finally got to have that like corporate role? Yeah, yeah, it was, and then some. Um, it was um, so before that. I, um, my husband and I, um, 
we weren't married yet. That's a whole nother story. That's a whole different podcast. Um, we weren't married yet, but um, he had been offered a job in Connecticut. And so I was trying to find my own job in Connecticut so that I could move out there so that we could stay together. And so this was um, 1996, 1997. And I mean, think about this, Robbie, the internet was like brand spanking new. Like the internet was, you didn't have, people didn't have home computers. You would go to a, uh, a computer library, right? You would go into a computer, like a center, right? And yep. you would log on and you would like dial up modem, blah, 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 blah. So I found a job on the internet with the Connecticut um, American Red Cross, their blood services program. Who knows blood better than me? Nobody. Why? Because I had, I, on my resume, what had I done? Had the most successful one-day high school blood Look drive. Look at that. Thomas back. Great callback. <laughs> I know. Great callback, right? And, um, but this was before, you know, LinkedIn, da, 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 da. So here's what I did. I was applying for a public relations job, a job in their communications department. I created a campaign for them sent it to them and said, hire me, don't hire me, use it, don't use it. But here's a, here's, here's a campaign um, that I created for you. And it got me an interview. So I flew to Connecticut um, and did the interview and they said, listen, we love you. We can't offer you the communications job. We sort of have already done that, but we would love for you to work in our blood services area. So um, I uh, took a job with them to create, um, to to coordinate blood drives in a particular area, which was very much a sales job. And you were mm -hmm. responsible for promoting your own blood drives and and recruiting your own blood drives and making you know making it successful. So again, still not in corporate public relations, right? Using all these skills, but using all the skills, using all the skills. So then um, I did that for about a year or so, and then and then I got my corporate PR job, and it was everything I hoped it would be. Did you finally get that role in the PR job through networking, or like was it another one of these just? found something and applied for it? Um, it was through networking. It was through going to a the local Chamber of Commerce job fair, mm -hmm. and which is how it was done back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you went to job fairs and you had to like talk to people face to face and you had to sell them on you. You know, we took our little paper resumes and, and we had to say, this isn't okay. So this is what you're looking for, but this is what I do. And I think you want me and not this thing that you're looking for. Like you had to, you had to sell yourself. Um, so that's, that's what I did. So I, um, I was talking to somebody and they said, you know, I know somebody and they were like three tables down. And so they walked me down there and they said, we can't use her, but we think you can. And I got the job. Wow. Putting yourself out there. making yeah. it That's Crazy. awesome. You're bringing me back to the, all these big gymnasium setups. Yeah. Yes. That's great. So I know you today through Innovation Women, which is a wonderful organization that Bobby Carlton um, runs. And particularly, you and I know each other through a weekly event that she hosts every Friday called Speaker Friends, because she says, you know, speakers need friends. And the focus of Innovation Women is getting uh, more women and other 
underrepresented voices on stages. And I am thrilled that I get to be a member and get to support and be a part of this community. Um, so I know you now as like a speaker, as a comedian, you know, so when did you shift away from like a corporate nine to five kind of job, which was for you the goal, right? Like mm -hmm. think about how long that was the goal. I also said, you know, in your intro, you mentioned being um, a mom. So like somewhere along the way, there's kids and a family and like having to focus time and energy on that. So when did your, when did your journey sort of shift a little bit? And when did you decide to start focusing more on more of these entrepreneurial kind of endeavors? So I left my corporate job in 2006 and started my own business, which at the time was um, it was a, a business. It was a, a personal concierge business. So I was creating like the gig economy before there was a gig economy. Um, so I didn't have any children yet. I was burned out in the corporate world. And I uh, so I felt like I needed to do something like I didn't feel like it would be OK for me to just stay home if I didn't have children. You know, I just felt like that would be frowned upon. So I started a, a personal concierge business. But then in 2008, the economy tanked. I had a baby. I went back to public relations consulting, did, did that for a while, um, had some success doing that. And then um, my family and I moved to Atlanta. And I was, so now this is like 2013, 2014. And um, I, my son was going off to kindergarten. My husband is an executive with the, the Fortune 50 company. And for the first time in my life, I was, I didn't have anything for me. So I, um, I said, well, what's like the craziest thing I can do? And I Googled stand-up comedy and there was a class starting and I took the class and that was eight and a half years ago. I've been doing it ever since. Wow. This is your like, it's my turn next chapter. Like kid goes off to kindergarten, mama gets on stage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mama talks about it because she's a little ticked off about it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, it was you like needed an outlet. I mean, you need an, an outlet and that was a, that was a, a socially approved outlet, you know? I, and it was supposed to be a one and done. I, yeah. I was like, I'm going to go do something else now. I'm going to do this comedy thing just to say I did it. Next stop, jump out of an airplane. I didn't know. Um, instead, I just, um, I just stayed on stage. And um, back to what you said about innovation women, I, um, a few years into it, I realized like women in comedy, we still didn't have a voice. Um, we still didn't have a place. We were still being told we're not funny. We were still showing up and being on shows where there would be um, 20 guys and one woman. And um, so I created I created the show that I wanted to be booked on. So I created Laugh Lines and Stretch Marks, which is my um, all-female um, monthly showcase of amazing female comedians. And I've been doing that for five years, and it has been a crazy success. So... That's awesome. I'm, I love when people take charge of their lives and create their own, own stages, right? Instead of waiting to be like one of 21, yeah. <laughs> um, hoping to get in and feeling like you're competing against other women for that one slot. Instead, you created opportunities for all these women to be seen and heard and appreciated for their talent. All That's women really cool. and all, or in, in all, um, yeah, all women, all perspectives, um, you know, within the, the genre of, of female comedians, I wanted to show that we can, we can be funny. We can have a show of, of all 
you know, women and women identifying comedians that, uh, and not talk about the same things. Right. You know, and, right. it, and it'd be hilarious. And I'll tell you, it has scratched an itch and I am the all, I am the only all female monthly comedy show in all of Atlanta. And it's 2023. Yeah. Yeah. So people need it. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I mean, that also is a very entrepreneurial spirit. Um, the fact that you were thinking about building community in that way and um, ho- and hosting something. How did the pandemic shift some of that? Because I imagine you were, you know, you were gathering at comedy clubs and then 2020 happens. So yeah, twenty twenty at that point. Yeah, twenty twenty happened, and um, that was probably our you know our biggest challenge in the industry, and it was the biggest challenge for me. And it was very interesting because a couple of things happened. Some comedy shifted to um, Zoom and you know online platforms pretty quickly and pretty easily, and that presented a real challenge because although I had niched out a nice little career here for me in um, in Atlanta, um, you know, uh, nationwide, you know, I'm known in some places and not in others. And so when comedy switched to, um, to an online platform, when, um, when a show can book anybody, <laughs> you know, people who have really great credits and and whatever, they're not going to book me, right? Like they're not going to necessarily book uh, the, what I call myself a stay-at-home alcoholic. That's what I call myself on stage. Um, uh, Who has a nice little show in the suburbs of, of Atlanta. So it was sort of, on one hand, it was hard to stay relevant. On the other hand, um, there were a lot of comedians that refused to do online comedy because they didn't want people to get used to it. They didn't, they felt like comedy wasn't meant to be consumed that way. I viewed it very differently. I actually loved doing online shows. So then I did a couple of things um, where I would produce online shows um, just to keep some of my comedians paid, just to get them some, um, some, you know, getting some money coming in. But also, um, because I just liked the format. I feel like if you do it well, and if you do it right, it can be very engaging and engaging in a way that in a club can't be. And, um, you know, when I'm looking at little squares of people, um, you know, when they have their, um, their cameras on and their cat runs across the computer or whatever, like that's a joke. That's an opportunity to engage, you know, or when they're eating their ramen while they're watching the show or whatever, that's an opportunity to engage. And, um, so I really, um, uh, so I embraced it. I leaned into it. I, I, um, I sort of harnessed it, but it also forced me to do this thing that I'd been thinking about. And that was bring my business communications and my comedy together. And the Venn diagram created this custom comedy for companies looking to just give their employees a laugh break in a very stressful time. So I ended up getting hired by companies to jump onto their sales meetings or their kickoff meetings or their year end stuff or their year or beginning of the year um, employee conferences and just make people laugh. And I decided to do it in a way that was different in that not just bringing my normal comedy because my normal comedy maybe isn't corporate clean, but 
taking my business communications experience and expertise and saying, great, let me do a deep dive into who you are as a company. What are your pain points? What are your challenges? And let me write jokes about that. And the jokes always, you know, lift up and never punch down. And it really took off. It was exactly what people wanted and needed. And, um, and it really, um, I've done it live, um, also, but there was just something about doing it on zoom or, or Microsoft teams or whatever that, um, just really resonated with people. Yeah. I love the innovation of that, that shift from, you know, comedy for comedy's sake. Um, and then realizing you had maybe something else to offer. You weren't getting access the same stages that you might have been because the you know the pandemic had changed everything um like you i embraced zoom i know uh, you did <laughs> uh and it's funny because you know at first i remember sitting there in march 2020 just really like like a almost like scratch your head moment like how are we going to make this be engaging and interesting and enlightening and transformative. And I don't think I was thinking that big. I was thinking just like, how do we make this not bad? I, I, in fact, no more bad zoom came out of a joke. Someone said zooms a four letter word, please no more bad zoom. And that was like on my first like zoom that I hosted, someone said, ah, oh, zooms a four letter word. We were like a week in to the pandemic and someone had already said that. And that's how I got no more bad zoom.com and started hosting my weekly event. But, and like built built an empire around it, right? Like, but I now see what you're saying. Like, I think that there is a lot that we can do with that medium. But if people haven't bothered to explore it, they're they're like so far behind on that thinking that they can't see it. And what's what I love about it is a surprise and delight where people expect it. It's like the bar is set really low. I used to teach networking all the time. And uh, networking is one of these like, you know, like, yeah, so, but like, I would come in and do everything except juggle to get their attention and get them paying, you know, to learn something. And they right. would leave feeling so revived. And it, it reminds me a little of that, like, they're coming well, in to these zoom calls, like, oh, and then you show up. What I love about that in, in what you're doing and um, in Zoom is um, it allows, so I have been a networker from day one and it allows me, you, everybody to network with people we would never be in the same room with. Right. And I mean, I know that's such an obvious thing to say. It's like, duh. I mean, I know I'm not, you know, I'm not like, you know, breaking new ground here and saying that, but um, the people that I have met through Innovation Women um, in particular are the people that have become my, like my, my business partner has come from that. I would have never met her. I would have never connected with a burnout expert who then said, um, hey, Heather, I want my stuff to be funnier. And by the way, you know, we got together and I was like, you know what? Um, we all know laughter, you know, like raises your happy hormones and lowers your stress hormones. You're talking about burnout. Let's come together and create something that does both, teaches them how to address their burnout and also gives them an immediate laugh break, which is immediately going to lower their stress. That would have never happened if not for a couple of things, one being the, the medium of Zoom and the other just being open to looking for those opportunities. And that's something you're really brilliant at. So first of all, give, give a little shout out to your partner. 
Oh, Dr. Sharon Grossman, the burnout doc. She's amazing. Go look her up. Yeah. We'll put information in the show notes. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, figuring how to translate something you did in person, like comedy, uh, into this medium requires a lot of trial and error, a lot of willingness to, like, fall flat. And the audience is really appreciative when you figure it out. You know, like, it doesn't even have to be a major revelation for them to be like, wow, that was actually a really good, you know, we really enjoyed that. And like you said, now Zoom is, like, its own, like, it offers new opportunities for jokes like um like we all have had like i you know humor sort of woven through what i do i don't specifically focus on it but i talk about that moment that everyone gets sent to breakout rooms and we're all muted and we don't know where to we don't know who should go first we all kind of look around we all hesitate and then finally someone unmutes right like or when i got sent to breakout rooms and we're told to go in order of birth uh, our birthdays, but we end up talking about horoscopes and how many times it's happened in the last three years. So we don't <laughs> actually talk about the topic. We talk about our horoscopes. Like that's a, that's like a very Zoom specific or whatever. I happen not to be a fan of some of these other platforms, but like that's a very virtual platform. Um, yeah, you, you wouldn't get that joke unless you'd experience those moments. So um, in comedy, that is the things that make us laugh, right? Our shared mm-hmm. experiences and common experiences and embarrassing moments and things like that. And so when we got to go on Zoom and um, see, like, hear, like, kids screaming in the background, uh, toilets flushing, you know, what, you know, whatever, um, the doorbell ringing, or, you know, I used to have jokes, uh, jokes about it, about how I had my own reality TV show. It was called my husband's on a zoom meeting. Um, and how, you know, his colleagues had to hear me screaming at my son, you know, or whatever. Um, those are the things that those common shared experiences are the things that bond us which then creates likability, authenticity, um, trust, things like that. And without people um, meeting with each other in their homes, you know, while we were all just trying to figure it out, my, you know, my poor husband was like, wherever he could go. It, it took us like a year before we set him up an office. We just kept thinking, you're going to go back. You're going to go back, you know? Six more um, weeks, six more weeks. Know, six six more just, weeks. Just, just two weeks, honey. And then two nah, weeks turned into totally, a year. Yeah. And then, um, and he's still home like two, um, two or three days out of the, uh, out of the week. Um, and so, yeah, it really gave us some insight and it, it made us all realize that we're human and we're all dealing with um, we all have kids. We all have roommates. We all have whatever. We're, we're that we aren't alone. It was a really good way to show that we're not alone. Yeah, I, I, my first time hosting something was March thirteenth, twenty twenty. It was my first virtual happy hour, and like twenty people came on. And I didn't know at the time that I had some skill in the area of like online facilitation. I actually had some training in that because I had been trained to do uh, masterminds virtually. And so I actually had a positive idea around like, oh, what was possible with Zoom. But I didn't realize that it was a, a skill that I could sell because no one was particularly looking for that pre-March 2020. For sure. And I joked that the reason people were having a good time is that they weren't in charge of feeding someone. Like that, that these were people that they they could just talk to that weren't like, like feed me. Like, like the only people we were talking to at that time were people in our own home who were de- have, demanding our attention <laughs> and who should have been like at school. Like, you know, it's like, and it was just the first day. Like that was the first day. That was day one, March 13th, 13th, 2020, which by the way, was a Friday. 
Yeah. I know that because I was getting trying to get on an airplane because I'd just gotten into a big comedy festival and I was going to be in the same spot that Jeff Foxworthy and Fortune Feimster and all kinds of people were going to be. This was a huge opportunity for me. And I checked my phone one last time and they said, we are canceling the rest of the festival. So, um, so you, and that, and then we found out, we also found out that our kids weren't going to go to school Ever. for the next two weeks. <laughs> two weeks forever. Right. So for you to jump on, Robbie, for you to jump on on that day and start to harness like Zoom, do you have any idea how innovative that was? <laughs> well, I didn't know what else to do. I mean, kind of like you, you just do what you have to. Like, I remember March 9th, I accepted it was happening because I was paying attention to Rachel Maddow and she'd been talking about it for a couple of months, but it was like over there, right? But then all of a sudden it was in Seattle. It wasn't just like over there, like a world away. It was, it was in our country, right. but on the other side of the country. But like, you know, so I sort of, when March 9th happened, I think I kind of went, oh, I made my first donation to a local food bank, a monthly donation on March 9th, because I didn't want to live in the world of like scarcity. I knew that the business I had had like around in-person networking at conferences was not going to continue as it had been in that moment. And that like, I didn't know what was next, but I thought we'll be fine. There's going to be a lot of people in need. Let me just open myself up to the opportunity and I'm going to start giving. And then Wednesday, I like, I fell in, I mean, I had that moment of like, what do I do? But it lasted all of two days, but it was a horrible two days. I will tell you. <laughs> it's a very destabilizing couple yeah. of days. Yeah. But I my, mean, you know, Monday when my son like was day one of, of virtual learning, oh, right? I, 20 minutes in, I popped a Xanax. I'm like, I can't deal with this. You know, yeah. it was, it was a very destabilizing oh, kids couple were, of days. Kids were so resilient. So I, I got a great talking to from my peer mastermind on Wednesday and they kicked me in the butt and got me to think about how networking for me wasn't just something I did at ad events but that I'd built a, a global network in previous five years. So how could I show people that? So on Thursday, I wrote a blog post, nine ways to network in a pandemic. And the third option on that list was to host a virtual happy hour. So that night I was like, oh, I should do one of these. I posted a private note in a Facebook group that I'm a part of, like, hey, would folks come? Got like a couple of yeses right away and then spent between two and five on Friday messaging and emailing everyone I know someone came who got the message at like 454 Eastern for a five o'clock event. She found the email just like a few months ago. Um, but she started coming. And so that's I just was like, this is a thing I can do. It was just a feeling of like, how do I show up and offer value? And that's to your credit similar, like how you transformed what you had been doing, like you'd been hosting events in person, You'd been speaking in person as a comedian, and now you were like, well, how do I do that? And then I love the idea that you then found ways into networking uh, and doing this for companies. I'm actually curious how you made that leap. Like, how did you find the first few companies to trust you? First of all, comedians are not all clean. I know there's a whole brand of clean comedians now, but that, you know, people don't right. always know that's a thing. How did you find those first few companies? Was it referrals? Was it part of your network? Was it people who already knew you? Yeah, it was. So um, back to the networking um, combo. Um, I got a lot of referrals from a Facebook group that I'm a part of, which is um, a, a women in marketing Facebook 
group that they said, listen, we are looking to do something like they, they had already like a lot of companies had already done what they could in their Zoom platforms to sort of like mix things up, you know, like, oh, we had, you know, goat yoga. I don't even know how you do that in Zoom, but they did it. Um, and the Zoom bingo and the this and the that. We're looking for different things to do. And I said, I have an idea. How about you just have me come on and just do some comedy about you, what you guys are facing. Um, and my value proposition, again, goes back to my business communications. It's, and you don't have to worry about getting called into your HR department because the jokes are going to come from you. I'm going to get to know you and your brand and your values and what's important to you and what you're facing. And that's what we're going to joke about. And um, so then that keeps me in a lane, right? That keeps me in a very safe space. Yeah. And it made me um, innovate. You know, it really made me think about companies. Uh, one of my clients was a, um, and you know, once you get one, you can get others. Um but one of my clients was um, was IT building a customer facing dashboard for a company that is a workman's compensation insurance company. If I can make that funny, y'all, I can make anything funny. I'm just here to tell you right now. And so it was really like you. You saw that this isn't going to go away, and this is what people are going to need. You did it before people even knew they were going to need it because we all thought we were going to limp through for two weeks. I got into it a little later when we were like, I guess this is where we are. And people were very stressed out. And businesses, companies were just looking for a way to, to make their employees feel seen, heard, and appreciated. And that's what I promised I would do. Well, in a second, we're going to get to my favorite uh, wrap-up question. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsor. Okay, so this is my favorite wrap-up question. We're meeting a year from now, and I uh, know we're going to still be in touch. We may even cross paths in person one of these days. Uh, imagine that. So a year from now, we're catching up, and I ask you what we're going to be celebrating about you. Like, what are we going to be toasting? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Oh, in the year ahead, I I really look forward to doing more of what I've I've spent the last couple of years building. And that is really just bringing a laugh break to companies and organizations to, again, help their employees feel seen, heard, and appreciated. Because I feel like burnout is, all, is always going to be a thing. Stress is always going to be a thing. And um, I, I just really believe in um, investing. If the pandemic taught us anything, I think it's that our most important resources are our people. And we have to take care of our people. And, you know, people are going to be asked to come back into the office at, at more and more and more regularly. And, and down the road, you know, maybe things are going to feel like or, or look kind of more like they did, you know, in 2019 um, than, than they do now. But I think that we've realized that people, um, they, they still are wearing a lot of hats. And we have to honor that. And um, so I hope that uh, big companies, employers, whatever, will remember that these human resources are the people who kept your business going and homeschooled. 
you know, and so these are hard things. And so I, I really hope that in any in a year from now, Robbie, you and I, we're going to sit down, we're going to have a cup of coffee or whatever drink of your choice. And, um, and I'm going to say, I have been given the opportunity to bring custom comedy to this organization and that organization, and that or organization, all because they valued they're human resources, they're people, and they wanted to give them a laugh break because they know that um, they need to feel seen, heard, and appreciated. And this is a great way to do it. One laugh at a time. I can't One laugh at a time. Can't wait to celebrate that with you. I think you're so right. I feel like now that we've gotten to see how people are living and the intrusions in their life and the balance that they're trying to, you know, negotiate every day, um, we can't unsee that as we start to maybe get back together in person. Thank you so much for sharing all this today um, and just being part of this conversation. How can people find you and follow your work? So um, mostly on, um, so website, hyphenup.com. Hyphenup um, is all one word. It makes fun of the fact that I have a hyphenated name, which I don't recommend. Um, but, um, and LinkedIn at um, Heather Tolly Bauer. You can find me there. And um, yeah, those are the two best, those are the two best places right now. Fantastic. We'll put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Heather. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 343. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges on their way to success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.